As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will make it possible to materialize your assets in real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investment in owner-occupied properties. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado and will be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.io today to register your interest and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. We have Joe Burnett here from Blockware Solution. He's actually formally... Uh, used to advise at Bitcoin Magazine, helped us kickstart Bitcoin Magazine Pro back when it used to be called the Deep Dive. He's done a lot of awesome work at Mimesis Capital as well. So all around a great Bitcoiner and a, an awesome thinker in the space. So we're going to get cosmic with him. Uh, but I want to tell you all about the Bitcoin conference. And I think we're going to get some tweets uh, with a promo code or whatever on the top here. But uh, this show is brought to you by the Bitcoin conference. Bitcoin Magazine is putting everything into putting together the ultimate gathering of Bitcoiners in person, May 18th through the 20th in Miami Beach, Florida. Uh, we have brought this event, Bitcoin 2019, Bitcoin 2021, Bitcoin 2022, with 26,000 people. And now we're building towards Bitcoin 2023. Uh, thousands of people have already purchased tickets. Tens of amazing speakers have been confirmed, and we just announced some new ones on our site. So you can go to b.tc forward slash conference, check out the speakers, check out the sponsors. Almost every single company in the space is going to be represented at the Bitcoin conference. So if you're trying to get a job in the space, if you're trying to uh, build a company in the space, there's no better place to be than Miami Beach 2023. So y'all don't miss it. Promo code COSMIC, 10% off. Ticket prices are going up in two weeks. So uh, get your ticket now. The FOMO is only going to get crazier. And you can come meet me, Joe, Spencer, Chris, Tomer, Lana, a lot of people that I called out in person at the Miami at the Miami event, Bitcoin 2023. So, y'all, that's enough shilling. I'm going to hand it over to Spencer for a proper introduction of Joe, and then we can get into uh, we can get into the show. Awesome. Thank you, CK. Yeah, Joe, man, we're really excited to have you here. Uh, just wanted to give people a bit of background for those who aren't familiar with you. Um, but Joe is the head analyst at Blockware Solutions. Uh, they specialize in hardware procurement, mining co-location, mining and staking pool operations. And Joe is also a former member of the Texas Blockchain Council. And he's also formerly served as an analyst for Mimesis Capital uh, and also was an advisor for Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, Joe has a master's degree in business analytics from the University of Georgia, and Joe is a technologist and specialist in Bitcoin mining, and he's put out some seminal pieces on the mining space, uh, and he put out a really awesome recent report with Pierre Richard of Riot Platforms, uh, formerly Riot Blockchain, uh, called Bitcoin Transaction Fees, the Future Economics of Bitcoin Settlement Finality. Um, highly recommend everyone check that out. Uh, we'll be getting into that a little bit later on in the discussion, um, but Joe, I just wanted to start this off by asking, you know, before we get into your, your Bitcoin experience, I was just curious, like, where you came from before you found Bitcoin, and if there was really anything in your background that, that brought you here and really primed you for interest. Uh, was it maybe anything on the energy side, or, or uh, yeah, really, how did you uh, find this space to begin with? Yeah, thanks, Spencer, and thanks, CK, for having me up here, and thanks for the introduction as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was, like, a few different ways that that I think I was, like, primed to get into like this technology uh bitcoin specifically but oddly this technology i think one is i was always a freedom-minded individual like i valued you know being able to do whatever i want with my time um i think that was just kind of like a mindset i've always had from the very beginning and i think that you know made it easy for me to like understand the value behind something like bitcoin um, two was I've always been interested in like technology and computer science. Like my undergrad was information systems and I minored in computer science. 
And like, even when I was a, a kid back in middle school, I, I was building like Android apps for fun. Didn't, you know, didn't crush it money wise, but they got like, you know, over a hundred thousand downloads. So I was always very interested in building technology, understanding how it works and, you know, having that like computer background. And then I think like the third main reason of, of why I was kind of primed to, to get into this space was I was always interested in like the concept of money, you know, like the idea of investing, you know, I guess I was, or my dad mainly talked about, okay, you know, like you should buy like Coca-Cola and IBM you get like a 2%, 3% dividend and it goes up like 2% a year. And then that's how you like save money. And I was like, was interested in that. And it was, you know, fascinating, but I felt like it was just kind of like a broken system in a way. Um, but the idea of money specifically really kind of interests me or drew me in because, you know, I believe in like the idea of free markets and like it's taught in, in most colleges, like that's, that's the most efficient way to allocate capital for the most part. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense to like centrally plan the, the market for, for like pencils or, or laptops. So I was like, why does it make sense to centrally plan the market for money? And that was kind of like a light bulb moment for me. Um, and, and, and really trying to like dig, dig deep into like, okay, what is money? And like, why are we all using this government product that, you know, governments are depending on your, what you think of governments, but they may not necessarily, or they typically don't produce the best product that we all like to use. They kind of make mistakes and normally the market can produce a better product. So I was fascinated by that. Um, I think those are like the main three reasons of why I was like primed to get into this space. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. It seems like Bitcoin would have fit the bill well for your interests there. Um, but I'm curious, like when you first saw Bitcoin, like was there, did it take you time to really understand like that this technology actually functions as it's designed to? Were you skeptical at first or given your computer science background, was that something where you were like, oh, this, this makes sense from the get go? Yeah, I remember following like broadly like the cryptocurrency bitcoin and ethereum subreddits like in 2017 and again i kind of had the background of like buying safe value stocks this was back like in, when i was in college but i had the, the background of like buying safe value stocks and i just remember watching bitcoin like summer of 2017 like it went to like 2000 3000 and then like later in the year it went to 6000 and then it eventually you know it peaked around just shy of a uh, 20000 and I just remember being like, what is this? This is like the strangest thing. I've never seen anything like this before. Um, and like, it kind of encouraged me to dive down the rabbit hole um, because I was like, okay, you know, I don't really know what this is. Like back then I was like, all right, something's here. Um, and, and Bitcoin may be like the outdated technology, right? Like I thought of, at the time I thought, oh, Bitcoin's obviously too slow. It's about you know, transactions per second <laughs> and stuff like that. So I definitely got distracted when I first got into the space because I didn't realize like what the true innovation was here. And after a few months, specifically like during the early months of the 2018 bear market, I remember like diving deep into Twitter, like crypto and Bitcoin Twitter. And like Pierre Richard happened to be like one of the people that I like wouldn't stop DMing to try to like understand the space more. And he definitely like, guided me and he was like hey you know the true innovation here isn't transactions per second like that was kind of the hype of 2017 for at least a segment of the market but the true innovation is like immutable perfect scare scarcity like an immutable monetary policy that literally can't be changed and anyone can run it and verify it for themselves and i was like oh well, that's interesting it makes a lot of sense and then i remember diving deep into like the nakamoto institute which it still exists today but it basically has it's like some blog post that highlight you know what is bitcoin why it's important from like a very high level and in like in my opinion like a very simple manner and i remember reading it and i was like okay like these are interesting blog posts but it's not very professional like it's not like i'm reading the wall street journal or, or bloomberg but i couldn't really find a reason like why they were wrong and other after that i was just kind of stuck and and, and really dove deep into the space Hey, I know we're gonna we're gonna get cosmic and, and get into some of your writing where you actually like start thinking deeply about the implications of Bitcoin. But I remember you from 2018 when I was you know trying to you know make my own way in the space, and I remember you were one of like the most tenacious uh, people on Twitter, just like DMing people and 
trying to like check out this project. I'm working on this. What do you think about that? And, you know, I think you've done an amazing job of, you know, working at a bunch of really cool Bitcoin companies already and uh, making a pretty good impact. Like, I guess just to take a slight sidestep for people who are interested in, uh, you know, venturing into this uh, space or venturing into Bitcoin, do you have any kind of uh, recommendations for, you know, how you've been successful? And I think it's particularly interesting that, you know, you're not necessarily a heart, you know, you're not necessarily a dev uh, because it seems like pretty straightforward if you're a dev, how to get into the space, but uh, less straightforward for people who have, uh, you know, more, more soft skills or more analysis skills or something else. Yeah, totally. Appreciate that, CK. Yeah, I mean, I would say there's like two ways. And I, I don't know if I've talked about this publicly, but I actually kind of did the the reason I started working for Lewis at Mimesis Capital was because I, I think this was maybe like 2019 or 2020. I, I built a it's called Satworth at the time. Some of you may have used it. I don't know. I, sh- I shut it down. But it was basically a portfolio tracker that denominated your, your net worth in Bitcoin. You could add your Bitcoin. You could add other cryptos. You could add your stocks. You could add real estate and like stocks. It would automatically track it with like an API. And I built it and I like, I don't know, got like a few hundred users. Um, but obviously I'm, it was just a one man team. And Lewis reached out to me. He's like, Hey, that's like really cool. Like, are you like looking for investors? And I was like, Oh no, like I'm still in school <laughs> and like, I'm a one man team. Like I'm not a, I'm not a dev. Like I'm kind of like a makeshift dev, I would say. So it wasn't like the best, uh, the best platform could have been a lot better, but it was something I made myself. So yeah, being a dev is obviously like you can contribute to so many projects uh, in Bitcoin, whether it's like protocol itself or like scaling solutions or building, you know, other sort of applications uh, around Bitcoin. The other thing that I think I was probably more successful at, obviously, was just kind of like riding and contributing to the space. I mean, I think Bitcoin, especially Bitcoin Twitter, we're all trying to like understand what this technology is. Like the core consensus rules are, are fairly immutable. And like, that's why this is special. So we're all kind of learning and, and creating our own narratives for like why this this is so unique and so special. And I think over time, our narratives have gotten more and more concise. And if you can rephrase things or can consolidate big ideas into very simple, uh, you know, tweets, then I think that like, that's what drives adoption. And it's what, you know, helps more and more people understand what Bitcoin is. So I think like writing on Twitter, making threads, putting out research reports, even if it's just on like medium and not under like a a brand in the space. And I think if you write good content, people will take note and, and notice it. And if you're passionate about this stuff, which many people are, I think you could, you know, go far. Yeah, totally. I think for me coming to Bitcoin Twitter and the Bitcoin community has just been such an amazing education trying to wrap my head around this. And that's one of the reasons I love being here is I love to learn and Bitcoin just gives you such a depth in that money touches every aspect of our economy and so does energy too. And, and that's something we're going to get into a bit more. Um, and I, I guess I wanted to, to get your thoughts on, you know, you talked about central banks planning the cost of capital um, and essentially the inefficient inefficiency of that process. Um, and I know, I think we're all in, in consensus here that we'd rather have a free market dictated cost of capital, but at the same time, what Bitcoin is doing is it's unlocking new forms of energy for us to utilize. And to me, it seems like we're becoming more efficient at economization in that we have this free market money, but then we're also, so we're able to do more with less, but we're also creating more new energy at the same time. So we're actually like in a way unlocking more to do economic work with. Um, And I just wanted to get your take on like how you see the potential of this flywheel of incentives really playing out. Like it's really kind of, it's a really radical, it's a simple concept, but it is so radical compared to how our economy functions today. And that's, for me, one of the things I've been most bullish on is, is kind of, and CK as well, is like this energy side coupled with the free market incentives. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a great topic question. The way I kind of see it is there's like two big ideas that are like moving right now in the space. One, the world is like in the early stages of actively monetizing Bitcoin, which is fairly obvious. And then I think two, energy production 
is in the long run becoming, you know, more efficient and cheaper. And I think this, this gap between these two is, is kind of like Bitcoin mining, right? Like when production goes down, energy, energy, the cost of energy production goes down, price of Bitcoin goes up, Bitcoin miners are, are there to, to benefit and capture from that spread. And we're kind of seeing that play out over time. And I think that's something that's going to continue happening. I think Bitcoin mining, Bitcoin, I guess, broadly creates this incentive around being able to capture energy and turn it into the most sound money we've ever discovered. And I think like I saw the other day that there was the, or there was like the, the announcement that fusion, there's a fusion reaction that created more energy than was put into to the system. And that was, you know, supposedly if you can commercialize that and engineer it in a, in a way that is scalable, it's a, it's a breakthrough. There was like a Helion, there's an announcement on, on TechCrunch that this company called Helion, they raised um, like $2.1 billion or something along those lines to build a, a 50 megawatt facility uh, to produce fusion energy. And obviously this is not necessarily going to happen next year, but it's sometime out in the future. And they supposedly like, if this works, if fusion energy is successful, you know, we'll be able to drive down energy costs to, you know, one cent per kilowatt hour. And so we're seeing this, this major trend of, okay, energy is getting cheaper. We have this sound getting more and more expensive, quote unquote. And I think that is, is, is enabling society to, okay, now we have this more, more and more energy being piled into to the world that we can use for products and services, or we can use it to produce the sound money. And it kind of is this very interesting feedback loop to where you have more of the sound money or the value of it continues to increase. People are holding it. They're saving it. More and more people have purchasing power to do, you know, whatever investments or consumptions that they desire. And then at the same time, there's always, as more and more people hold Bitcoin, there's a greater and greater bounty to produce more and more energy. And this energy can be used for all sorts of, you know, other products and services that we may not have even conceived of. So, uh, I love that uh, kind of clip right there of you kind of describing this feedback loop between Bitcoin's monetization as well as uh, energy prices effectively going, you know, close to zero, as close to zero as possible. And for me, like this is the most cosmic thing about Bitcoin. Like this is the element where like we are all too stupid to even start to conceptualize what it's going to look like in reality, because you have to be a genius in order to like put the pieces together uh, in an accurate way. But um, like, no one is really thinking through like this idea of like Bitcoin making ener- like it's effectively bringing energy prices to zero. And then what are the implications of that? Right? Like what could we do if that was the reality, which is, and not, only bringing it to zero but also distributing energy everywhere right because grids in a lot of the world they suck um you know a lot of people are trying to be expats right now and they they're missing the reliability of the western grid and western grids themselves are starting to dilapidate so um it's it it is quite a huge element there yeah totally i mean it's fascinating and i think the a lot of like the main maybe the mainstream people in the West or, or some people in the West, like kind of have this stigma that energy production is bad per se. And maybe it's more of like dirty energy production rather than like something that's quote unquote queen, clean, which may not necessarily be, be clean, but I think generally um, energy is, is good, right? Like I think it's energy is how we build and use tools and new technology and I think energy is a fundamental part of human civilization. It's how we improve the quality of life, you know, not just for ourselves, but for everyone, all of humanity. And I think that's just something that's commonly overlooked. And it's something that we should be striving more towards. Like we should be striving to produce more energy at a cheaper price so that we can build more tools and use it to improve life for everybody. The Bitcoin Magazine podcast is brought to you by CrowdHealth. With open enrollment upon us, what if you didn't have to pay healthcare premiums anymore? What if you can invest in Bitcoin instead? With CrowdHealth, you can choose your doctors, put aside money for your health expenses in your own account, and even hold a large part of it in Bitcoin. 
pay one low monthly total to fund an account that is yours. If a large expense comes up, CrowdHealth will crowdfund the bill for you to pay quickly. Go to CrowdHealthBTC.com and use code BTCMAG and experience freedom from health insurance by utilizing Bitcoin. Right now through the end of the year, you can get your first six months for just $99 per month. Don't get stuck in a bad insurance plan again. Instead, go to CrowdHealthBTC.com and use code BTCMAG to sign up. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for healthcare. Terms and conditions may apply. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Yeah, no, Joe, I think those are some really great points. Um, As many of my coworkers at Bitcoin Magazine know, but not many outside of that know, uh, my previous background was in waste uh, waste energy. Uh, So basically, uh, we were doing... um, Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the name of it, but mass fire. Um, basically, we're taking garbage and we're burning it in order to create electricity. And what a lot of people don't realize, we were classified as green energy, and you know it's better than landfilling. You don't have leachate from things like that. But um, there's a lot of issues with it that you're basically subsidized. So the only way that it's like economically viable is in order to basically get a government subsidy in order to lower the cost of uh, what we can sell the energy for, as well as building the plants. Um, and I know kind of coming from Spencer's world, Spencer was more in the recycling world and, uh, it's kind of a similar thing. It's unfortunate, but you know, a lot of it comes from subsidies. So basically the only way to make it viable is by printing more money to make these businesses and prop them up. Um, and while we did have a lot of plants in the United States, there's about like 80, uh, waste energy plants in the United States, Europe, there's about like, we're an order of magnitude smaller. There's about 700 to 800 across Europe. And the way that they're made economically viable is they tax the hell out of uh, keeping garbage in landfills there. So you're or and you're propping up a lot of the waste energy plants that go on in Europe. So it's very cool technology. But at the end of the day, their only reason that they're really able to function is by printing money. Um, and that's not really a technical solution for a complex problem. Uh, Spencer, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add there. Yeah, no, I think it's really going to alter the incentives around energy and really provide a market-based solution for a lot of things like landfill natural gas is one um, that I have my eye on especially. Um, but before we get more into kind of the, the like specific energy applications, I just really wanted to hit home on this point. Um, and Joe, in your, your report on the purchasing power under a Bitcoin standard, forecasting Bitcoin's purchasing power as it demonetizes other asset classes, you give this target of about $478 trillion for Bitcoin's total, total addressable market. Um, and what's really hard for me to wrap my mind around is that is basically you think of those dollars in terms of the purchasing power that they would afford you in today's world. Yet like under a Bitcoin standard where we can economize so much more efficiently, it's just mind blowing to think how much more people could get with that same amount of value. Um, and I don't know if you have anything to add there, but that's just kind of like, one of these strange paradoxes I've found is like trying to understand what the value of a Bitcoin will be in the future uh, is just such a, a difficult problem. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's it's very difficult to think about. I don't think enough people are thinking about it. Obviously, there's a scenario that we're just simply wrong here. <laughs> I, I, I made out the tweet the other day that was like, I see like three reasonable outcomes for Bitcoin. One is like digital gold, where Bitcoin is basically like gold 2.0. Maybe it's 10 to 20 trillion. Um, which would be like half a million to a million dollars per Bitcoin. Second, like a reasonable outcome could be like a treasury reserve asset. I think this is how Sailor currently thinks about it. This could be like, a, I don't know, $50 trillion asset. And then the the one that I we talked about in this report that Blockware Intelligence put out was Bitcoin literally becomes the global money that we all use. And it kind of, and it becomes the, the global unit of account and it changes the way we value other assets other goods and services all throughout society and yeah i I think one way that i've kind of thought about it um 
more recently is is Bitcoin could basically become like this ultimate productivity index. It's basically like the the ultimate index fund that you could have that has no fees, no counterparty risk, and pretty much just goes up forever as long as like the the financial system or and entrepreneurs are competing to to build better tools and better products for everybody. And I think that'll always happen. I think in the short term, like there'll be problems that like, you know, like a hurricane will come and prices will rise. But I think in the long run, if, if you're bullish on humanity, Bitcoin is, is always going to go up. And I think that kind of changes things because I think generally, I think like markets are relatively efficient. I mean, I think there's gaps in the market where there is alpha for like certain entrepreneurs to go out and do. And it, and it sometimes could be fairly obvious, but for the most part, it's very hard to see real alpha in the market. And I think because of that, the best risk adjusted return for holding or for, for, for any investor is just holding Bitcoin and sitting on it. So I think like this is going to completely change everything because now as an individual, you don't have to invest in, you know, real estate, you don't have to invest in stocks. You don't have to invest in whatever you literally can just hold Bitcoin. And if, you hold, you know, 99% of your net worth in Bitcoin or 90% of your net worth in Bitcoin, which may sound crazy um, because of the volatility, but just for the sake of this getting cosmic, I guess, say that's something that happens. I mean, Bitcoin becomes such a large portion of global wealth relative to everything else. You know, if Bitcoin, if everyone in the world holds on average 90% of their net worth in Bitcoin, Bitcoin effectively could buy everything like nine times. So it's, it's kind of crazy to think about how much how the, the total value of Bitcoin relative to everything else could be, you know, very interesting to think about in the very long run. If you take this obviously probably crazy hyper bullish uh, position. I mean, my my personal belief is that the uh, digital gold scenario that you described is the least likely scenario and that. Really, there's only two scenarios. Either the Bitcoin incentives work and they uh, facilitate 21 million and like the perfect monetary policy, or the incentives themselves don't work out. Uh, the ledger can't uh, move through, you know, maintain the monetary policy throughout time. Uh, things fall apart. People do other things. No one cares. Uh, I think like just some other asset, digital gold amongst other assets is probably, it's, like, it's where we are right now. And it's like the least likely long-term uh, outcome. Do you, any thoughts on that, Joe? Yeah, I mean, totally agree. I mean, I, I have a hard time seeing, when you compare Bitcoin to other monetary tools, um, it's pretty obvious that Bitcoin is significantly better, right? I mean, it's it's certainly better than gold. If you look at it, you know, it's it's scarcity, it's divisibility, it's portability, it's verifiability. It's, it's better on all terms. It's just a matter of, okay, like that much better, how much increment, incrementally more value can we put inside this thing called coin compared to the, the yellow rock that people call it gold. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I agree that I think, I mean, in my, in my opinion, like the, the, the scenario that makes the most sense is the hyper bullish scenario. Um, granted, it sounds crazy. I think it makes the most sense. Yeah, so when you play out that scenario in your head, um, you wrote this piece, Valuing Companies Post-Hyper-Bitcoinization. Like, what do you see the capital allocation landscape looking like? Like, wh how does uh, an individual think about allocating to something other than Bitcoin? Like, how would that perhaps differ from the current fiat currency scenario, would you say? Yeah, totally. So I think Bitcoin will totally change the way, like, investors value companies, like upgrading, you know, like monies is just a massive paradigm shift. And I think it's going to leave like many financial experts that exist today, like very confused. <laughs> um, and I think for for like a traditional asset or traditional equity that we use, that we look at today, like, and this will not change, but going forward or, or today and going forward, we'll still analyze equities and, and businesses with like a, something like a discounted cash flow analysis. So we'll attempt to, you know, predict the future cash flows the business will generate, and then we'll discount those cash flows to today's value. Now, obviously, something like Bitcoin is going to completely change this because in, a, in, a, in today's world, uh, with the dollar as the unit of account, you know, prices are, are always increasing. 
um, over the last 40 years, interest rates have con have come down. So your, your, uh, equi- like your risk premium or your discount rate has been going down. Um, so the value of these assets, uh, can, goes up because the future cash flows are discounted less than they were, you know, 20, 30 years ago when interest rates were, were very high. Um, and so, and so I think that that's going to remain the same, but in a Bitcoin world, if, you know, the economic system is growing, prices could actually be coming down, especially for bare necessities, like something like food and prices are coming down for the consumer, but prices are also coming down for the producer of, of the food and their input costs, whether their input costs are energy or, or, or other various goods or commodities. And I think it's possible that businesses may see their, you know, Bitcoin denominated cash flows shrink over time. And I think that that's going to make, you know, obviously make people want to store their wealth in something other than equities. Uh, like I said, I think Bitcoin is like the ultimate productivity index. So you're going to want to store your wealth in, in, in Bitcoin itself. If you see alpha, then then maybe there is alpha in certain equities if the price or the value of the equity goes low enough. Like if you're projecting out the future cash flows and you discount it um, using whatever discount rate you want, I would imagine the discount rate will be higher in a Bitcoin world because of just the the value that that Bitcoin is, it, or the increasing value relative to goods and services that Bitcoin is going to bring, you know, over the long run. And so I think that the discount rate will be even higher in a Bitcoin world. So the market value of, of equities will be lower relative to savings or i.e. Bitcoin. And I think that basically these equities are simply going to be worth significantly less. More savers are going to have the optionality to build their own companies or to invest in whatever companies they see fit, but they won't have to. And I think that's kind of going to be the game changer for like post hyper Bitcoinization. There's going to be a lot more individuals and even businesses that have a significant amount of savings that, that are just sitting in Bitcoin and they will have always have like the optionality to, to build or consume or produce, but they may just decide not to. And so I think when you have this kind of scenario of maybe hundred X more savings in the world, or maybe a thousand X, I don't know. And, and that savings still, people aren't, aren't necessarily incentivized to always be deploying that savings. But you have this massive pool of savings combined with, you know, a bunch of different, everyone throughout the world, people see different alpha opportunities. So I think people that may see alpha in the market today, but may not be, have the capital to do it, maybe in the future when they have that savings saved up, they will be able to deploy that capital because they see an opportunity in the market. So kind of like what we were talking about earlier, I think when you have more people with massive amounts of savings and you have these people being more selective with the investments that they're taking, then it's very possible that like economic growth could explode. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what are the implications of more savings and then maybe less alpha in participating in uh, in startups and in equities and, and storing value in them as, as like investment vehicles. I was going to ask you, what do you think the implications of that? But you, you just closed it out with, you think it's going to explode productivity. I guess just to kind of follow that up is like, what is wrong with like, what does the current structure in fiat world where, um, you know, there's a massive amount of incentive to, you know, be an institutional investor or a VC and, uh, you know, all of the kind of like big exit or liquidity opportunities kind of happen in, in uh, you know, public equity markets. You know, what are the negative effects of that? And why is a Bitcoin standard, a like savings oriented sound money world? Uh, why is that better? Yeah, totally. It's very interesting because the fiat world kind of has very obviously short term incentives. Whereas the Bitcoin world, everyone is incentivized to think more in the long run. And I think like crypto broadly is is kind of a great example of the fiat world uh, bringing itself close to Bitcoin, right? It's these tokens where people have ideas that they want to create. Maybe it's they're actually trying to create something valuable. Maybe they're really just 
creating like a marketing machine and their goal is to exit and to, to dump those shares or those tokens on like retail investors. And I think that's kind of what's been happening in this space for a long time. And I don't think there's necessarily much to show for it. Right. I think it's kind of this perpetual like Ponzi gambling cycle where there's a lot of wasted resources building tools that aren't actually producing value for anybody. And they're really just kind of casinos in a way. And people in the fiat world have a strong incentive to do the casino because they can't save their money elsewhere. They're kind of on a perpetual motion machine, like working their job. Maybe they have a a good bit of savings, but their savings just gets devalued like in the last year. Maybe it's like 10% over the last year, which maybe if they have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars saved up in bonds or cash or even equities in the wrong equities, like they lost money. Maybe they lost more money over the past year or lost more, more wealth over the past year than they did earning income at their job potentially, which is like kind of a sad state of affairs when you realize, okay, they're on this crazy perpetual motion machine that they can't get off of. So a lot of them are kind of resorting to buying Tesla, buying whatever crazy uh, Ponzi token that was just released because they hope it goes up 100x. And so I think the fiat incentives are just kind of very misaligned and very different from what would be happening under a Bitcoin standard. Yeah, and it kind of leads me to think of what will all of these companies that are reliant upon cheap money, these are like zombie companies, what will the transition to a Bitcoin standard be like in the long term for them? Um, I guess for me, I kind of wonder, you know, if our economy is so financialized, and the end of cheap money comes about, like, how do we transition to this Bitcoin standard? And, and kind of maybe a metaphor to think about this is, like, you've talked about the Bitcoin black hole, like absorbing the monetary premium of all these financial assets. Um, but if you think about it, like that would be a very, uh, arguably a very chaotic process. So do you, do you see like a, a rough period of transition from this old paradigm to this new? Or how, how do you see that playing out over time? Yeah, it's something fascinating to think about. Um... I, I feel like fairly so far, you know, it's, it's been fairly orderly, um, but maybe it will get less orderly. I definitely think there's a lot of zombie companies and r- literally changing the unit of account uh, is probably going to be a volatile process <laughs> for the world. And so, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that it's possible that ca- simply put capital will be re- reallocated, right? That means people, that means uh, capital goods, that means machinery, that means land real estate a lot of things are going to change and like just because there's more dollars in the world doesn't or companies go bankrupt or whatever doesn't mean that uh like the people disappeared or like the factory disappears it will just the people in the factory will just get repurposed rather than producing short-term crypto tokens or i don't know random products that that aren't really sustainable in the long run because um, they're, they're, they're zombie companies. They'll be repurposed to doing something that is more beneficial in the long run, whether that's producing like uh, better energy sources. Like I was talking about fusion energy or automating like the, the food process. I don't know. The market will figure out what's really important for, for individuals that have like a low time horizon or a low time preference, meaning they think in the long term. Um, but yeah, I totally think that a lot of things are going to change and it's going to be, it's going to be like a, a pretty significant reallocation of capital, which means a lot of things will probably change. I just don't know how fast it necessarily will happen. Yeah. I want to jump in real quick and, you know, kind of zoom out, you know, me and you kind of talked about how we think the most likely scenario is that sound money wins, uh, infinity divided by 21 million, can you kind of talk about, you know, when you're like thinking about BTC absorbing monetary policy or monetary premium from other asset classes, like which asset classes do you think uh, are important for people to be kind of considering and how big is that market? And does that the size of the current kind of store value market or asset market um, even matter in the grand scheme of hyper Bitcoinization? I know it's a kind of a roundabout question, but pass it back to you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's a good question. Um, yeah. I mean, I think like anything that people use to store value in today will be revalued in Bitcoin and, and likely 
at least to some extent, demonetized. I mean, the the obvious ones, in my opinion, are, are assets like like cash itself, dollars, bonds are, are another very obvious asset because they're literally future cash. <laughs> um, so those are like the two obvious ones that I see going into Bitcoin. There may be like capital controls somewhat around, you know, BlackRock selling all of its credit and going uh, long Bitcoin because I don't think that's going to happen. But also that's probably a feature, not a bug. More individuals will hold, hold the Bitcoin rather than large institutions. That's what's been happening for, for quite some time. And I think that's probably good. Um, but yeah, no, I think like cash, bonds, gold is another one. I mean, I think more and more people are going to realize or people that are like I saw the the statistic that like 2%, uh, the gold supply increases roughly like 2% uh, every year, or a little less than that potentially, which, you know, if gold's a, a $10 trillion market cap, that's a significant amount of, of people buying gold. That's like $50 billion worth of people buying gold per year. You know, if half of that decides, Hey, like maybe I shouldn't be buying $50 billion of gold, gold or $25 billion of gold. Maybe I should be buying $25 billion worth of Bitcoin. That's going to be a big step. Uh, for Bitcoin. So gold's another one. And I think like another, obviously equities, as I talked about, I think it revalue, it, it forces you to, to revalue your equities. Like is your, is the company producing Bitcoin cash flows that are growing? If it's not, then maybe you should reevaluate your position. Obviously it's pretty easy to grow your cash flows in the long run. If your cash flows are dollar denominated or as an investor, you're looking at your dollar denominated cash flows then you, you you know you might be like oh i should invest in this company but if you're looking at it from a bitcoin perspective um then maybe you shouldn't buy that equity or maybe you should sell that equity and and, and get into bitcoin i think another one is real estate um like I, I did this tweet before that showed like the median average sale price for a, a single family home in the u.s and i did like the the price of that house in Bitcoin. I did it from like 2011. And obviously over time, you know, you shouldn't have bought your house back 2011. You should have bought Bitcoin. And like, it's kind of a trend that is obvious when you like put it in, in that terms. But I think it makes a lot of sense. Like why, why, why would you pay? You know, I mean, in 2016, why would you pay a hundred Bitcoins for a house when, when you should have just bought a hundred Bitcoins? <laughs> and so I think that real estate is another asset that's, likely going to get demonetized and and people won't necessarily you know hold real estate as investments uh or go ultra leverage long real estate they'll just hold bitcoin um to answer like the second part of the question is like does it really matter i, I that's a great question because i think like we were talking about under a bitcoin standard entrepreneurs are, are going to be competing to to get everyone's bitcoin right like that's the main difference uh, I think one main difference between like the fiat system and the Bitcoin system and the fiat system to get the, get the new fiat, you gotta, you know, be, be like borrowing money, um, uh, building businesses, doing things like that to get Bitcoin in a Bitcoin system. You got to provide a valuable good and good or service to someone else and convince them to give you their Bitcoin for your uh, good or service that you created. So I think it's going to be a, a total change in, in, in how people think about Bitcoin. But I think in the long run, um, basically, we're going to we're going to see uh, Bitcoin being just very unique, very special. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah, and to kind of uh, add on to that a little bit, like you've written about kind of the long term future of uh, Bitcoin settlement finality uh, in, in that piece with Riot Platforms. Um, so I guess, first of all, I just wanted to get your take on where the mining market is going. I know um, there's a lot of discussion around, you know, whether or not the technology um, of these transistors will continue to improve uh, in with regards to Moore's law. Um, but at the same time, it seems like the energy side is becoming where a lot of the uh, I guess, opportunity lies for Bitcoin miners. They're seeking out the cheapest energy and the hardware is, is no longer really where the action is happening in that market. Um, so I guess before we, we get into like kind of this, how Bitcoin scales with higher layers, I just wanted to get your, your take on how the Bitcoin mining market has evolved over time and, and where you see the future of that going. Will it be more on the technology side or do you see energy as being kind of the driving factor behind whether or not these companies are profitable? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the, there's a great chart that I think like the Mining Council 
has put out the Bitcoin Mining Council that kind of shows uh, chips like ASIC chips over time increasing their efficiency. So like when when people started first mining Bitcoin, obviously like they were using you know basic CPUs that you can run on your own computer. Obviously there are more efficient ways to to mine Bitcoin, and so people started like okay like let's improve the chip. Let's let's not use a CPU to mine Bitcoin. Let's use like a GPU. And people started doing that and, and you got maybe, you know, significantly uh, faster. You, you, you became significantly more efficient in the amount of energy you were using to produce a certain number of terahashes. And so eventually like, okay, let's not just use Z, uh, GPUs. Let's build ASICs, which are like application specific integrated circuits. So these are literally chips used to mine Bitcoin itself. And that's pretty much the only thing that these chips can do. And so once we started producing these ASIC chips, the gains in efficiency of being able to convert energy to terahashes uh, slowly decreased over time. So, for example, the, the jump from CPUs to the first ASIC was about a 700x increase in efficiency. And then jump from the first ASIC to the S9, which was one of Bitmain's most popular ASICs that came out uh, like 2017 era um that jump was 13x so significantly less than the 700x from cpus to the first asic and then from there the s9 to the s19 xp which is bitmain's top machine that exists today no one uh, in in the world has been able to produce a machine more efficient than this one it's only a 4.6x increase over the s9 and it's been you know over five years at this point and so it's interesting that these chips are getting the next generation chip becomes less, like the jump in efficiency becomes less and less over time. And so I think it's exactly kind of like what you're saying. Now the competitive nature between Bitcoin miners is not necessarily about getting the newest chip. Of course, that still helps. And if you have a high electricity price, you should buy the newest chip. But the older generation chips like the S9 or like the S17, they are able to stay around for significantly longer than say like one of the early ASICs or especially like a CPU or a GPU. Like if you tried to mine Bitcoin with your one of the first ASICs or a CPU or a GPU, you're not going to mine any Bitcoin. You're just nowhere near competitive. Whereas, whereas these efficiency gains in, in, in the later ASICs since you know 2017, they're so, so, so much smaller than it was during the early days you know, an S9 still prints, you know, ignoring your costs, <laughs> it still prints like almost a dollar per day, um, which is pretty decent. And so I think that, uh, and if you have free energy, obviously a dollar per day is great. And you can buy those machines for like 50 bucks from people that uh, are selling them. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that the game kind of changes to where now that these machines are able to remain competitive for more than like six months or a year, um, the game is going to be, okay, these machines, maybe the newest generation machines go into whoever has like the, the data centers that have high energy costs, but then those machines end up getting sold once like the next generation machine comes out, those machines end up getting sold to someone else with a lower energy cost. And then the cycle continues. And then further, the, the oldest machines that still might be somewhat profitable, um, get sold to the, the people with the, the cheapest energy costs. And so I think that these machines are, are going to stick around for significantly longer than they have in the past. And I think the name of the game uh, is, is going to be becoming like, okay, who can find the cheapest energy? Um, but of course, with, with all this being said, like Bitcoin is going to go through additional monetization cycles, right? Like another hype cycle. And the next hype cycle it goes to, I would imagine mining margins are going to become massive again. And there's going to be a extreme inf uh, you know, capital inflow back into the industry. I think you know, maybe the, the, the players that were around this time that made a lot of bad decisions won't be making bad decisions. But I would imagine if Bitcoin you know, does another 10x, 20x, there's going to be new players that come in, into the industry and probably make the same bad decisions <laughs> that they made in the past going ultra level, leverage long not locking in power purchase agreements properly, buying like the newest generation rigs for crazy uh, prices 
And then obviously when the market falls out from under them, uh, they're going to get wrecked. <laughs> no, absolutely. And it, it, in my opinion, I think it's actually, it's almost like a beautiful cycle really where, um, you know, kind of like these deep pocketed newbies, they almost like fund the buildup of, of the network. Um, you saw all of these public miners this year or last year, uh, the last few years, uh, come in and fund the, the buildup of a massive amount of ASICs, have them shipped, you know, to the West, and then they all go out of business and they have to fire sale their equipment. And then that, that equipment that they subsidized got distributed across the globe. Um, so, I mean, that's just kind of uh, one example of kind of like this cycle of, of new miners and how it kind of helps bootstrap up hash rate as well. Yeah, totally. And there's a lot of people doing like super interesting things with like old ASICs. And I think that's, that's something that I've started like diving somewhat recently. Like people are using old ASICs to, to heat things, right? Like, because if, if you have, like, if you need a heater or whatever for your, your house, maybe it was, you were in the winter blast and it was like negative degrees around your house, you need a winter heater. So why not run like an S9? If you're already going to run the heater to begin with, maybe you should run a Bitcoin mining machine. So, you know, you're, you're going to have that byproduct of heat, which you need, but then you're also going to have digital money that you also need. <laughs> and so I think there's going to be more and more products like that to where, yes, people are obviously going to be going towards the cheapest sources of energy, but people are also going to be repurposing, you know, the excess product, like what ASICs produce and ASICs produce a lot of heat. <laughs> if you've ever been to a Bitcoin mine, you definitely don't want to uh, step into what people call as the hot aisle. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. Um, but yeah, no, I think people are going to like find unique purposes for ASICs. And I think like using it as heat, um, putting it as like heating your swimming pool, heating like your, your, the water in your house. I think those are going to be more and more products that really put ASICs into the hands of, of people. And, and it won't necessarily matter if you're, you know, paying two cents per kilowatt hour or something crazy for your energy. If you need the heat, you're going to pay for the energy anyways, at whatever price you were going to pay it at. You might as well mine Bitcoin while you create the heat. Absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I, I think that, you know, Bitcoin started with home mining being something that's very feasible. And I think that the end game is uh, every home is mining Bitcoin. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've gone back and forth on the idea, but with the kind of this this heat idea, it makes a lot more sense. And if if, if something like fusion technology really gets out there where, you know, you have a fusion car or like a fusion generator at your house or something, I don't know, this futuristic and cosmic, but something crazy like that, it makes more sense. Like if you have excess energy at your house or you put solar panels on top of your house, it's more reasonable and you don't have the option to sell it back to the grid. You might as well just be running ASICs at your house because you have free energy. Um, and so I think there's going to be more and more scenarios like that. And I think it's, it's, it's good for Bitcoin. Yeah, and it, it, um, we're getting a little bit low on time here, but one thing I really wanted to pick your brain on is how the network is going to scale through time. So uh, in that piece I referenced earlier that you wrote with Pierre Richard, um, something you talk about is kind of the mismatch between when demand for Bitcoin increases, there may not be scaling solutions in place. So I just wanted to get a sense of how you consider that, uh, especially in the context of transaction fees making up uh, the entirety of Bitcoin miners revenue at, at the end of the block subsidy. Um, it seemed like you had some really interesting thoughts there in that report. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, this is definitely a, a long report. So definitely people in the audience should go read it or listen. I did an episode with Stefan Levera and we talked about it in great detail. But yeah, quickly going over like this part, um, I think a lot of people talk about, you know, like Bitcoin security or Bitcoin fees. And it's interesting because like in 2017, we you know, the Bitcoin community was like, oh, Bitcoin is going to be very secure, right? And even last year, like fees were high, like Bitcoin is very secure. But then other people outside the Bitcoin community are like, what are you talking about? Bitcoin can't scale. Everyone's paying $50 for fees and they can only do six transactions per second. And then now it's like, okay, fees are very low. And people in the Bitcoin community are like, hey, Bitcoin can scale. But then the, the naysayers are like, what are you talking about? Bitcoin has no security. So it's like both sides are just kind of painting 
the environment to match their narrative. And I think that this specific diagram in the in the report that you're talking about, Bitcoin scaling cycle, kind of highlights what's really happening, where we have this these periods where okay, you know, Bitcoin's price is going up, it's becoming more scarce, and people are like demanding final settlement on Bitcoin, like they want to stack Bitcoin. And so because of this, there's you know whatever six transactions per second on the base layer or whatever it is. Um, uh, fees are increasing because there's a lot more demand for a scarce amount of block space. And because fees increase, we see people demanding cheaper settlement for fee for, for Bitcoin settlement. And so what happens when people demand cheaper settlement? Well, people build scaling technologies, right? This could be something like SegWit. This could be exchanges, batching transactions. It could be lightning, liquid, fediment, et cetera. So many people working on, on cool technologies that are second layers and potentially even third layers of Bitcoin. And I think that's going to be continuing to happen. And, you know, people build these scaling technologies, like exchanges start batching transactions. People start using SegWit. Then fees kind of go back down. We're doing, able to do more transactions, quote unquote, per second or whatever, however you want to say it. Um, but the, the, the fees or the, the block space gets more efficiently utilized. And then, of course, we have like that next wave of adoption where uh, the, the, the block space is, is not enough, even though it got a lot more efficient. It's still not enough and fees go back up. And then we kind of have this whole cycle over again where Bitcoin, you know, scales, it fixes the high fees and, and then, you know, we have low fees and then Bitcoin adopts it spend it more and then we have high fees and it keeps going over and over again. I mean, I, I think it's a really interesting perspective. Um, you know, personally for me, I'm not even thinking very much about Bitcoin fees. Uh, I think that miners are, are going to live off the subsidy for a very long time. Uh, and it's, it's really just uh, Bitcoin's hyper monetization uh, outpacing, you know, the, the block subsidy getting cut in half, uh, which is going to kind of, you know, enable a lot of mining as well as efficiency gains from Bitcoin mining over, you know, whatever they're doing before, whether that's heating your house inefficiently with some space heater or whether that is uh, managing, you know, a nationwide grid and leveraging proof of work to, to help balance the grid. Um, I think Bitcoin mining unlocks efficiency. So, you know, of this of the things that are going to pay for Bitcoin mining into the future, one is Bitcoin monetizing. Two is efficiency gains from proof of work, and then three, in my opinion, is the fees. So people are just focused on the complete wrong thing here. Yeah, I mean, I think you made a great point, and the kind of the thesis of the report was it's it's Bitcoin's dynamic fee market that basically makes Bitcoin resilient against any sort of attacks, right? Like if, if a nation state or, or any sort of, you know, adversary decides to attempt to attack Bitcoin and, and, and censor transactions, the natural response just in the, in the market is for transactors of Bitcoin to increase their fees and to get, you know, an honest miner to build, uh, to include that transaction in a block and make that block included in the longest chain. And so I think that, it's kind of an interesting way that to think about the future of Bitcoin security. And it's not necessarily a way that people have, have, have thought about it in the past. Absolutely. And I mean, other systems, either without fees or without proof of work or um, kind of like mismatching, uh, you know, it's, it's really unsure, you know, how they, they manage against that kind of, uh, you know, attack for, for a long period of time. In, in the past, prior to Satoshi's invention, um, you know, solving this problem wasn't even possible. Yeah, and, and just to rip off that a bit, it's it's almost like people would, it doesn't make sense to attack Bitcoin or even to ban it. Like if you could run your energy systems within a country and then recoup costs from all of the waste of energy that's incurred every day, you're going to outcompete your competitors who are trying to outlaw or not use this technology. And that's like one of the things I think about often is like the Trojan horse for Bitcoin being integrated into the global economy, I think is the energy side. Like you are going to lose in a competitive competition against another country if you're not utilizing this essentially energy efficiency technology at scale. Um, and that's kind of the, the long-term bullish scenario for me 
is is that aspect of Bitcoin in terms of just market competition? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think like the attack idea of people like someone accumulating a majority hash rate and being able to maintain that majority hash rate and attack Bitcoin, I think is just kind of a, a very crazy, like very, very out there idea. And I, 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 like you said, like, I don't think people are even going to try this because like you said, there's no, not really much of a point. And also I think there aren't many people or entities that can successfully attack Bitcoin. Like already at today's level, I mean, this is a billion dollar tech, like mining infrastructure that you got to build out a bunch of rigs, bunch of electricity. And by that point, you know, you should probably just start mining Bitcoin <laughs> like and, and earning it because like, that's how Bitcoin works. And I think, you know, government's not necessarily going to want to attack Bitcoin. Like people hold Bitcoin. I mean, a lot of people in the U.S. hold Bitcoin. There aren't really that many, you know, people in government that are currently saying, hey, like we need to ban Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. And I, I don't really see that changing because um, I think like if Bitcoin gets bigger, that means more people throughout the world are holding Bitcoin. And if you have a large majority of the world holding Bitcoin, then it's going to be pretty unpopular if you try to harm Bitcoin or, or hurt Bitcoin. And so I think by the time that an entity realizes or even considers like, hey, maybe I should like attack this tech te technology, it's kind of going to be too late. It, it, and, and there's kind of this like paradox where no one really cares right now because it's still very small relative to what it can be. But once it gets so large, it's kind of at like a, a, a force that you can't stop. And I definitely think that that the idea of someone or, or an entity attacking Bitcoin is just highly unlikely, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think, Joe, just to kind of like wrap this up, this is why I prefer to focus on like Bitcoin as an incentive system uh, versus, you know, uh, any other kind of way to describe Bitcoin. You know, the, it really comes down to do the incentives work? Can they continue to perpetuate the ledger? and protect the ledger and, and, and make sure that honest actors can continue to, to leverage it without having to use trust or it won't, right? The incentives are broken, things fall apart, people can't make it work and uh, something else will, will come about and no one will care about Bitcoin anymore. That's really, you know, just like no one cares about VHSs anymore. You know, we moved on. No one cares about uh, other, other past, um, you know, what's it called global reserve currencies no one cares once you move on you move on and if the incentives don't work they don't work but if they do and they seem like they do you know you can't really outcompete it right yeah totally i mean bitcoin to me is is a fairly unstoppable monetary technology it's the least uncertain money we've ever discovered and it's something that i'm excited about I'm sure you guys are excited about it. I'm pretty much everybody in the Twitter space is excited about it. So it's very interesting, hyper bullish in the long run. I think it's a great space. Thanks for having me guys. Yeah, absolutely. Joe, for people who want to uh, learn more about what you're doing, find your essays, where can they do that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you can check out blockwaresolutions.com. You can obviously follow me on Twitter. You can click on my profile. Um, we also do like a, a podcast blockware intelligence it's on youtube you can search it but yeah i think those are like the three main places my dms are open so if you like ever want to talk about bitcoin i typically try to respond to almost everybody awesome well thanks for coming on the show i hope this was a uh, mind opening for for the guests i definitely thought of some new ways i could talk about bitcoin describe bitcoin think about bitcoin so joe i appreciate you and everything that you do um, I want to encourage everyone to come meet Joe in person at the Bitcoin conference. Uh, Joe and I actually met at Bitcoin 2022. Uh, he was at the, the Blockware booth. They are a sponsor once again. Um, and I'm excited to, uh, to shake his hand, say what's up, maybe grab a beer if, uh, if we both have time. But uh, thousands of people will descend upon Miami. You should be one of them. Come meet Bitcoin Twitter in real life. No need for a space if you can just meet people in Miami. So uh, use promo code COSMIC and uh, make sure not to miss Bitcoin 2023. Spencer, I'm going to pass it to you just to close this out. Any last housekeeping items, but uh, thanks everyone for joining. We'll be back next week on Wednesday as well. Yeah, thanks, UK. And thank you, Joe, for coming on. Uh, it was a really interesting conversation and uh, especially really enjoyed that report on Bitcoin scaling over time. 
Um, and I just want to say thanks for all the great education you're putting out there. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, read a lot of your work, and uh, you do a great job making things uh, simple to digest. Yeah, it really captures the gravity of like what we're going through right now. So um, kudos to you and keep up the great work, man. Looking forward to meeting you in Miami. Yeah, thanks, Spencer. Thanks, CK. Enjoyed it. And yeah, definitely come to Miami, guys. It's It was last year was my first Bitcoin conference and it was like an experience unlike no other. <laughs> it's super cool. Uh, so come check it out. Come, come talk to me. See ya. And y'all, awesome. I, I got a note from the head of marketing ticket prices go up next Friday. That's Friday the 13th. So it's a scary day, but it's also the day ticket prices are going up. So make sure you, you don't get screwed and, and you buy your tickets before then. <laughs> Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. Bitcoin is for everyone. Lefties, righties, and rejectors of the false dichotomy alike. And that is why the newest Bitcoin magazine print edition is called the Orange Party Issue. It features articles by President Naya Bukele, Jeff Deist, Beauty On, Natalie Smolensky, Eric Kaysen, Max Kaiser, and Jimmy Song. Get your copy at your local Barnes & Noble's bookstore or from the Bitcoin Magazine store at store.bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.